You're listening to the oneofus.net podcast network. One of Us is a podcast and video network funded all but entirely by donations and subscriptions. We do accept pitches for audio-based or banner ads, but on a case-by-case basis. If you're interested in that, contact us at oneofusnet at gmail.com. With the amount of audio and video content we generate, it is expensive and extremely time-consuming to keep things running. Please go to the webpage oneofus.net and sign up for a subscription at 2 5 10 or $25 and get a ton of bonus content. One of us needs and appreciates all your support. Well, Captain Picard is back for more wacky hijinks, at least as uh, long as we can keep him alive. Boy, there's a little bit of like, feel like there's handlers there. Like, are you okay? Can you finish this scene? Did we get like a full CG scan of, of Patrick Stewart just in case <laughs> things go terribly wrong? Because God love him. Let's surround him by much younger actors who can carry the action. Even then, they're generally going, okay, we're surrounding him with actors who are like in their late 40s, early 50s. You know? <laughs> hey, we can, they can still do more. It's like Jerry Ryan. Go kick some ass while Picard just hangs in the background. Hey, it's going to be the captain because you can delegate that kind of shit. Kick their ass for me. I'm so grateful we're actually getting more because I really never thought we would see a Star Trek show really focusing on next generation characters again. And hell, season three is going to bring everybody back, with the exception of uh, Data and Wesley. Hey, I mean, we get Brent Spiner, but we'll talk about that more. And we'll reach a point with our discussion of Star Trek Picard 2 where we'll go full on into like, okay, now we're just going to be like, this is just spoilers. We got to discuss some of the wrap up of this season because damn, <laughs> I am Chris and joining me are my fellow Federation members, Jordan. Hello there. Harmony. Live long and prosper. And Marco. I am not a merry man. Still one of my favorite next-gen quotes of all time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely one of the best lines they ever gave Worf. I need Worf to have his own spinoff show, but that's a whole other thing. You know, Michael Dorn's been saying that. They should do a post-war show where it's like the last episode is the final battle in a war and Worf is the commander of the Enterprise and shit's going crazy and the war ends and the show is Worf learning to be a peacetime commander of an exploration ship. I think it should be about him and his son and it'll just be called Shit My Dad Says. They already did that show. This is not without honor. It's like, Dad, we just have to settle the check. Come on. Do we really (laughs) want more Alexander though? Depending on who they cast as grown-up Alexander, then sure, why not? Okay, you got a point. TNG is absolutely my favorite Star Trek. I am very excited about next season. And Jean-Luc Picard's always been my favorite Star Trek character. No, I think probably me too, actually. Like, as much as I grew up with Kirk and the original Trek, Wrath of Khan is still my single favorite thing of Star Trek ever of anything. But my captain is Picard, the formative one where you're like, okay, here's the guy I identify with a little bit more. Doesn't just try and punch and fuck everything that comes into his sight line, but actually he's like, well, maybe we could talk about this. I feel like you want to go on an adventure with Kirk, but you want Picard to be your captain. And you want to party with Riker. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. So, Star Trek Picard Season 2. This brings back relatively quickly the bulk of the characters from the previous season. He's retired now. He's living at the Chateau Picard. Uh, he's hanging out with his housekeeper, Laris, who is a Romulan, who, you know, at this point, the Romulans and the Federation are largely friends. And they're very close friends. Her lifetime partner, Zabin, died beforehand but there's clearly sort of a bond 
bond starting to really form between the two of them. Picard goes to Starfleet, gives a speech to new cadets, including the first ever Romulan to join Starfleet Academy, Elnor. We're like, oh, well, you know, it's time for a cameo we haven't gotten yet in the new Star Trek. So he goes to visit Guinan, Whoopi Goldberg, to talk about why it is that he just can't seem to close the deal. But we bring back, of course, Seven of Nine, coming back, who's now like sort of a vigilante, really, who's flying Christopher Rios, who we saw in last season, his old ship, La Serena. And we see Raffi, which is now on the USS Excelsior. He's called out to help out with an anomaly that's appeared, and a giant, weird, crazy-looking, non-cubicle Borg ship comes out. The Queen appears on the Stargazers, starts assimilating the whole fleet. And Picard's like, okay, shut down! I uh, guess we're just destroying the ship and we all die, because we can't let the Borg do this. And then, who should appear but... Q! John Delancey! God, I love John Delancey. He's so awesome! Just a moment, you hear the twinge of his voice. It's like, oh dear God. Here we go. So (laughs) Q can change all time and space. Q is a member of the Q Continuum who is like pretty much godlike power, and whenever he chooses to fuck with John Luke Picard, there's really not a lot Picard can do about it generally, except go through the labyrinth, as it were. And this particular labyrinth, Q shows them that they're now in an alternate timeline where Federation is the conf- Confederation of Earth, which just eradicates or enslaves all alien races. So this will not do. And they, with the Borg Queen with them, ends up deciding they're, they've got to time travel and figure out how Q t- changed the timeline in the exact spot where he did it. And fix the problem, which of course brings us back to the year 2024. But they've got to, you know, pull a Star Trek The Voyage home and, you know, pretend not to be aliens from outer space, figure out what's going on with Q, how it relates to a distant relative of Picard, Renee, who is set up to be an astronaut on a flight to Europa, which apparently a discovery that she makes there will change the entire history of mankind in a good way. And they're assuming this is what Q is trying to change so that whatever this thing is, is never going to happen. Meanwhile, there's a lot of problems going on across the board with a lot of different things. I mean, Raffi ends up being caught by ice and also has a romantic connection. No, that was Rios. I'm sorry, Rios. Sorry, Raffi and and Seven start to have like a sort of romantic thing going on and some badass car chases. They're led to a young Guinan and to a supervisor for humanity, someone who guards the time. Timelines. I mean, if you're paying very close attention, you might be able to have some guesses at to where this storyline is heading, at least in some ways. But said supervisor turns out to, and this is never explained in one of my small, my bitches about the season, looks exactly like Laris. I mean, it's same actress is also a Romulan <laughs> from the future, but they're not the same person? I, I don't know. The season literally doesn't even hint at what the reason is other than emotional. Just say it's dumb, Chris. It's dumb. Because it's it dumb. It was dumb. It was it a dumb. weird call. And I think the weird call had a lot to do because the part of this season that really didn't work for me was the part that has to do with Picard dealing with his own childhood and the death of his mother, who was bipolar, to say the least, and was having very real problems, his issues with his father and his mother. And there's a lot of flashbacks to this, and there's a lot of dealing with the whole idea that why Picard can't romantically connect with people, can't make that leap of giving up his his heart. And fine, but boy, is this a lot of this season. And there's yeah. a point I'm like, come on, I don't, this is like Aunt, watching little Annie from Star Wars. I don't want to see little Picard. I just don't care. There's a lot of lazy writing in this. The Laris thing was one of them. 
Also, the fact that her husband conveniently died off screen because, you know, we need a love interest for Jean-Luc and hey, she's there. But, you know, now that they're back in the past, they bring her back. But as far as his backstory goes, I don't mind that. I really don't. But Jean-Luc Picard may be the single most well-developed character in all of Star Trek. And this series asks you to forget all of the character development that came out of Next Generation and the films, where he's never mentioned his mother or talked about this. And now that he's dealing with his mom and his family, he never mentions his brother. That was a huge deal in Next Generation. His brother's not around for this. He's trying to help an ancient relative of his, an old ancestor uh, by the name of Rene. He never says, oh, you know, I had a nephew, Rene, but then he died uh, along with his father, Robert, and now I'm the last of the Picard. No, it doesn't matter. They just like, we have to make Jean-Luc Picard suffer. So let's do that. I can see where that, where you're going with that, but I did really like that aspect of this season it is some undiscovered country as it were to explore yeah we already knew yeah his dad was a piece of shit and the relationship he had with his brother and nephew and the toll that death took on him in generations one of the only good aspects of that movie oh come on you got to see the enterprise crash into the earth that was amazing no that no that was awesome <laughs> as that opposed to awesome. watching the whole franchise crash Crashing i'm not earth. denying that <laughs> that didn't happen till insurrection valid i personally did like that it also let us get a good glimpse into more of his childhood and what helped him go forward to Starfleet. I mean, one of the best episodes of TNG is, a, well, an episode that features Q, Tapestry, where we see, you know, the young, reckless, debonair Jean-Luc Picard, which I can honestly buy from the child we see in season two. I can honestly see that progression happening because he's just trying to break away from what has happened to him. We already know why he has problems of the heart, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. <laughs> I just didn't think they did a good job of integrating it with the existing lore. It's like they came up with this new backstory, but forgot everything they had already built on. And there was a way to weave that in. But really, if you look at the history of Jean-Luc Picard, arguably the whole narrative arc of the original Next Generation is about how do you get this emotionally aloof, distant man to just open up and become vulnerable and deal with his problems. And he finally does that. And at the age of 80-something, or I know canonically he's supposed to be like closer to 100, it just seems weird that he hasn't dealt with this shit yet because yeah. it's a lesson Picard has learned time and time again. Also, it just took up so much of the season. They yeah. should have dealt with this in one episode and you're like, okay. But they just keep coming back to the flashback thing and the thing with his childhood. And then, I mean, you feel like it's leading to some huge reveal that will tie into the actual situation they're in. And it doesn't really, except right. that, oh, wait, I remember that there's a trap door we could go hide in. But come on, we could have done that without any of that. I had hoped for him to deal more with the fallout from Locutus. You know, like that seems more interesting to me than the pseudoscience mental health stuff. Hopefully by then bipolarism might be like a little better contained that people aren't just like out and being crazy. I always like it though when they take whatever future that Star Trek represents and like shows a little darker or a little less perfect side of it. Because the big thing was about the Borg at the very beginning of the series. I was hoping for more of him working on that. Tend to agree with you there and i do like when they go down darker things i just think ultimately for me it was kind of unnecessary and 
like ultimately, like I don't think we needed that more information with the card, and it more especially it spent too much time. But we also get Adam Sung, Brent Spiner, who will never turn down a chance to play a descendant of the guy who created Khan Noonie and Sing. Although I was interested to see that this I had forgotten that because of original Trek's timeline, Khan actually got sent off into space in nineteen ninety-six. So all this actually happens way after that. This is actually a guy who postdates the eugenic wars, not predates. There are some timeline problems with this one, not the least of which is there's a thing with a character who decides to stay behind and they're like, he lived his whole life happy and fine and he died peacefully. Like, World War III starts the next year. (laughs) (laughs) Here's another thing that really annoys me about this, where it feels lazy because, again, there's a lot of good work here. There's a lot of good stuff happening, but it feels like it's a draft or two away. Somebody who works in the writer's room, there needs to be at least one nerd whose only job is to be an insufferable dick and go, well, actually, yes, this <laughs> happened. They're like, God damn, well, you gotta work you it. Did. All right, fine. We'll take the note. We'll work it in. Yeah, they always did that on all the previous shows. They always had that team. And not on this, not now, I guess. Well, Marco, I'm dating that person at this moment. <laughs> I am literally dating her. Well, the the showrunners should hire her because they needed her. She is named after a character off DS9, so they might as well. Which brings me to DS9. Let's not kid ourselves. The reason they go back to the year 2024 is because they're going to a place where Star Trek has frequently boldly gone before, a place where they can save the production money. You're also dealing with an 80-something-year-old star. He's like, I don't want to travel very far. I live in L.A. Can we just shoot it in L.A.? Sure, (laughs) we'll shoot it in L.A. No problem, Patrick. But they set it up as happening sort of on the eve or or close to the events of the Bell Riots, which is a big deal in DS9. They even name check Cisco. And I'm like, we know that the Bell Riots was like this moment where human history changed. Society started going, okay, maybe we need to look at these structural inequities of our system and slowly become the Federation. Picard would know that. Picard would know that. And I thought that's why we get a fascist future because somehow Q has fucked that up. They're here to save that, except that's happening in San Francisco, not L.A. Yeah. And they never touch on it it's because it all has to be about Picard. It has to deal with his uh, ancestor. And like I said, in early 2026, World War III begins and 30% of all people on the planet die. No one would say, yeah, sure, hang out. To be fair, Rios was that cool guy in class who never really studied. Did you see the voyage home? (laughs) Just bring her with you to the future instead. Rios cut history class so he could go and like smoke cigars behind the gym. Let's let's be honest. We're going to go now officially into spoilers because I feel like we have to discuss where the show ends up going. Now, I will say... I liked the way the show started very much. It was strong, although I was like, oh, no, not a fucking fascist federation future. Let's please don't spend the whole season here. But then I'd much rather see them go back to more or less present day Earth. That's fun when they get to do the fish out of water thing with Trek guys. I always like it when they do that. And they haven't done it with this particular amalgamation of characters. And it's a neat mix of characters from the different shows. I thought they had more to do and more work to do with their relationship. And they do indeed work at that. But when it gets to the point where Jurati is like sort of fusing with the Borg Queen and has a big musical number, that's when I went, oh no. Because it's Allison Pill is why she had a, had a musical number. I like Allison Pill a lot, but it was like, oh, this is so awkward. Because Star Trek does that every time. I get it. You have actors with musical backgrounds. They've got chops. 
you want them to have a little bit of fun on set. But the whole narrative stops. And I'm like, I'm sorry, there is no professional band that would let some random chick show up and go, oh, you want us to do a song? Conveniently, we all happen to know the song by heart. And even without a single second of rehearsal, it's going to be perfect. It's like, get this drunk chick off the stage. What the hell? But no, it's <laughs> not to mention at an exclusive NASA event that they barely got into anyway. You're like, Wait. it's just a cute bit of fan service that serves no purpose. What I loved is that the Borg is actually fucking terrifying again mm -hmm. for the first yeah. time in a long time. It was a bit undercut when the Borg Gina showed up <laughs> and kind of unfurled itself. It did look like that, yeah. I mean, I found resistance to be futile. <laughs> <laughs> but then, once the Queen comes aboard and starts going, Otto Octavius is like, oh shit, this is actually terrifying. And yeah. uh, stuff they do with the Borg Queen when she's connected to La Serena is great too. I honestly did really like the progression of Agnes in the season. I thought Alison Pill is really good. Her arc was just still trying to find more of herself because she's like actually on her own more or less now. No Bruce Maddox. Obviously things didn't work out with Rios. And I really liked her chemistry with Annie Wershing as the Borg Queen. I never knew I needed sassy, snarky Borg Queen. <laughs> Always. But I'm glad I got it. One of my absolute favorite moments was when they were connected and Agnes out tricked her and you said like, whatever my next hard drive is I get, I'm going to rename it Shit I Stole from the Borg Queen. <laughs> I thought Eleanor was the least interesting thing last season. I just didn't find him all too compelling before you kill me, Harmony. I gotta think for Elf Boys. I don't know what to tell you. That's fair. <laughs> I thought killing him off was just a big shock. He came back. I think we need to talk about two things. One, the fact that we got a huge reveal about the Borg in the first season of Picard, where they have essentially been rehabilitated and they're trying to be reassimilated into society now that, you know, the Borg Collective has been destroyed. Thank you, Hugh. And two, the other thing, an amazing return of a character we I never thought we would ever see in mainstream Trek. Of course, I'm referring to Punk Rocker on the Bus. Yes! <laughs> oh my god! Which was also <laughs> terrible. Because same I'm watching guy. that and I'm like, it's kind of sweet that it's the same guy. But I'm like, having a boombox on public transportation still isn't cool. Yeah. It wasn't cool then, it ain't cool now. Almost the same song. It's not even an Easter egg. It's total fan service. It's kind of funny, but only for people who have seen one particular Star Trek movie. It just felt lazy, and it really annoyed me that this show does so many good things, and then takes like, you're gonna like this, right? No, I don't like this. I don't want to see Agnes singing for no fucking reason. Don't give me some bullshit excuse, like, well, the, the Borg Queen was trying to jack up, you know, like her adrenaline levels or something. Hey, it's Bus Guy. It's like, it was really frustrating for me. I love it. Pander to me. A valid point of, like, the way it's in there is because, oh, well, like, the guy on the bus, he's actually a producer for Star Trek, has been the whole yep. time, right? Sure. So you're like, okay, mm. it's probably he was the one who suggested, you know, it'd be funny. Okay, it was funny, but it also took you out of it. Same thing with uh, Alison Pill having a big music number. Great, she's a good singer, but it doesn't really fit here. And I feel like everything in this, from the halfway point of the season on, was 
just sort of meandering until we get to the ending, which they seemed like where they started from. That seemed like their right. starting point. Like we know exactly where we want all these storylines to conclude. And I'll tell you, I really like the way all these storylines concluded because I thought the last episode did a lot yeah. to save yeah. the season for me. Yeah. It was really cool, but there was a lot of like moving pieces in place in illogical ways to get them to where they needed to be. Like, I had a little bit of trouble accepting the Borg just like, oh, it never really occurred to me before that maybe if we just ask people to be assimilated. <laughs> <laughs> Would you like to be assimilated? Would you like to join our cult? Hey, you want to join us? We live in Cube. It's fun. <laughs> <laughs> I do absolutely love this ending because after the absolute shit week that this actual existence has been, it was very uplifting and I goddamn needed that. And I need that in my Star Trek. I was excited that John Delancey, like you, the character, had closure. But why is he dying? Yeah, that makes no sense that he's dying. He's one of the youngest of the Q continuum. They've said as much. There are Q's centuries older than him. If dying was a thing, he would have known about it. <laughs> yeah, I wish they had kind of explored, like, why that was happening. How they explained, like, why he did this, it's like, you know, that is actually very perfect and so fitting for this combustible relationship he and Picard have always had. And I did particularly like the penultimate episode, which is now just one of my absolute favorites in all of Star Trek. It did bring everything full circle nicely. One other thing I do want to especially highlight is how goddamn good Michelle Hurd is as Rafi, because I particularly connected with that character, especially because she was a mess, basically about to drink herself to death, and I really did like her reaction to when Eleanor was killed, because it is sort of how I feel sometimes when I feel like I'm about to relapse or such, and I get stressed out, I just gotta keep myself busy just to keep my mind off of it and i know that's how it is for a lot of other people so i was very touched by how that was portrayed when i'm stressed i tend to think of jerry ryan and and you know i feel a lot better <laughs> that would fix a lot of things space lesbians and yes this <laughs> season ended with them settling down and eleanor being their adopted son which is what i wanted so yay i mean it's very <laughs> pat in some ways in other ways i like i said i like where it ends up i just not crazy about the light leaps it took to get to where it needed to be to get there and i thought you could have done the thing with q that is really good with his connection with picard and his reason for doing all this without him dying you could be lying <laughs> yeah, that's always true one story thing that kind of I'm still thinking about it in a befuddled way was the use of Jay Carnes, who I know was a time traveling character over in Voyager. And I thought, could this be like where he was before that? But his episode detour was like, this is odd. But I'm all for like a X-Files Star Trek. I am too. I mean, I get why it's there, but I was just thinking, this is kind of taking me out of the pacing. Yeah. I didn't even realize he was from Voyager. I've only watched that one once. That was probably my least favorite of the shows and the, on the entirety, but I don't know. I was really kind of hoping that Gary Seven would make an appearance at some point because <laughs> he's the original traveler from TOS. Like he's yeah. the first like supervisor and where it ends up going was definitely the biggest squee moment of the whole show for me because sure. we've all been rooting for 
Will Wheaton to get a chance to be Wesley Crusher again on the show. I mean, if you ever read his blog, it's wonderful. He's a really mm-hmm. great writer. He's a charming, charming dude. Very, very smart and has a lot of really intelligent things to say about the history of Star Trek. I'm the host of The Ready Room, the show that follows up and talks about this. Watching him after Star Trek's like a new thing for me now. Having him come back and say like, yeah, I'm Doctor Who, except I work for the business, you know. I like it. Imagine if he was playing the character that not the Loris, not Loris character. Talon. Because I kept thinking, well, this would be a perfect time to bring in Wesley, considering the way they set up that character. Like Mm -hmm. she says, oh, there's other people that we work with. So I was surprised to see him at the end because I thought they had wasted the chance. I'm like, well, they're just not going to do it. And like, oh, there he is at the end. But how much more interesting that would have been. That's the frustrating thing. And also confusing because, again, the two characters look identical, but there's no reason for it except for an emotional basis to the story but there's no it doesn't connect in any other way it's a weird choice to make and two it feels like wesley at the end was sort of like an afterthought like oh we considered him for this but then changed it and so we added this little bit because quite frankly we didn't know what to do with this other character who doesn't really make a lot of sense that she's like like a list to join this like group of people that wesley had to travel through all time and space for a while first before he was allowed to be considered you know i'm like this was an odd call but i'm still i mean again it's another one of those i'm glad where it ended it was just took some jumps to get there that weren't particularly smart i didn't think but let's go to final thoughts and harmony why don't you get us started i just wanted to share that i was very excited when uh, i think it's james calais was in it who was guys baltar from the reboot of Battlestar galactica yeah you know if i'm a fan of something i want to be pandered to occasionally you know what i mean like i was very excited that we had the whole bit with gynan and that we brought back bus guy punk rock bus guy like all that <laughs> stuff is cheap and <laughs> whatever but you know what i'm kind of cheap so there we go (laughs) i enjoyed this i'm very excited that shows are coming back as appointment viewing being able to set out time every week to watch a show it is fun to binge it but it's also it's really nice to have to be looking forward to something so i'm kind of glad that we've come back full circle to this yeah there is some lazy writing there is some questionable loose ends that are never tied up that they just kind of like oh it's fine but i'm going to give this seven of nine (laughs) yeah (laughs) nice yeah i'm with harmony i'm a big star trek fan and it was exciting narratively there are some problems with how is q dying the whole jay karns detour and some of the cast that i did like from last season like elsa brios who was soji and kore here kind of underutilized which i wanted to see more but i really did love this season and i know New Trek has been a very mixed bag, but I'm personally loving it. This made me love Jean-Luc Picard even more. He's fucking killing it. I definitely cannot wait to watch this again. I'm going to give it 9 out of 10 snaps. No, yes. wait, hold on. Let me try that again. That, that didn't do well. Snaps that doesn't work. That seems to work because yeah. Q's snap just doesn't work anymore. So... Marco? I mean, I've already expressed some of my frustration with this series. And like all of you, I'm here because I love Star Trek. I love Jean-Luc Picard. And I love seeing Patrick Stewart continuing the role for as long as we have him. It's clear watching him. We're not going to get much more. So greedily, I want more. And they've already shot season three. They shot them both back to back because 
I think everybody knows. We can't keep him doing this forever, so let's do it all now. Hopefully they give him a proper send-off this time. I just felt very frustrated that so many of the great stories involving Jean-Luc Picard have been forgotten, overlooked, or disregarded in telling this story because there was a way to tell this story that honored all the work that had already come before. And I think they dropped the ball on that. And that's too bad. Because honestly, of all the new Trek from this current era, this is actually the one that I've been least satisfied with. And I did not expect to say that of something that puts Jean-Luc Picard so front and center. But because it's Patrick Stewart reprising the role, I just expect more. And I didn't really get it. Some of the fun things are there. Great character work. There's some cute little Easter eggs and nods. But there's also a lot of just extraneous fan service a lot of lazy writing, and some just all-too-convenient narrative contrivances for my taste. I'm going to give this 6 out of 10 childhood traumas that I have turned into an elaborate fairy tale metaphor, because that's how people really react to trauma. <laughs> well, French people. French people. Wait, like, like, what am I doing French going to French. therapy? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually kind of right there with Marco on this one. I, I thought this was the show has been the weakest altogether of the new Star Trek shows. Lower Decks is still number one, but I have strong hopes for Strange New Worlds. It's still something I'm going to watch. I mean, I watched all Voyager once, despite that fucking doctor. <laughs> Jesus, Neelix. Don't you know the fans wanted to see him die horribly yes. in some sort of David Cronenberg transporter act accident <laughs> anyway this is just such a mixed bag at points it's really good at points it's really funny but at points it's really boring and i thought a lot of it was like missing those people like we said who need to come in and be the ones saying like no you can't do that because this has already been established it was lazy and for star trek with anything with this big of a mythology behind it you have to hire and listen to those people whose job it is to tell you those things. I mean, this is fucking Alex Kurtzman written all over it with this whole career of like, ah, nobody cares about what came before. That's so Alex Kurtzman. I wish they would bring in someone else's executive producer of Trek. I really do. I did like where it all ended. The last episode gave me the feels. This was pretty good overall, but I think it's a little bit better than season one, but not by a huge margin. I'm going to give this six out of 10 Song descendants that pretty much across the board are dicks with the exception of the new security chief on Star Trek Strange New Worlds, who isn't a dick yet, (laughs) (laughs) but I'm waiting. Also, how fitting that this time travel season had two episodes directed by Leah Thompson. That was cool, right? Yeah, that's cool. They should have given her a role to play, is all I'm saying. It's not the first time she's gone back to the future. Oh, Jesus Christ. 